Thank you for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church. To find out more about The Movement Church, you can check out our website at theocmovement.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The OC Movement. Hey, I am so excited because I have the privilege today to actually introduce to you someone who is going to be speaking for us today. And I'm telling you, you came to church on the right Sunday because this is going to be such a treat. And and the person who's going to be sharing with us today, Pastor Holly Wagner, she and her husband... She and her husband pastor Oasis Church in L.A., and they have been pastoring. They started Oasis, and they've been pastoring it for a long time, I think 34 years. Is that right? 34 years. And so they have been in this journey for some time, have some experience and some wisdom to share. But listen, I just want to tell you that Pastor Philip and Holly have had probably one of the most profound influences on my life and on Pastor Carrie's life of anyone that I know. And we're so grateful grateful for who they are. They serve on our board. They are our pastors. They're speaking into our life on a consistent basis. And and I'm just telling you, you are going to love hearing from Holly today because I've spent a lot of time with her and she's the real deal. She is what you see is what you get. And I'm just telling you, every single person in this room today is going to take something away that's going to stick with you for a long time. And so I'm going to ask you to help me out because this is not just my pastor, but this is my friend. And I love her so much. So I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet and help me give her the biggest movement church welcome you possibly can, because we're excited to have her. Good morning. How you doing? Wait, don't sit down. Because as long as I'm standing, you are too. Ha. Okay, take a good look at the person you're standing next to. Whew, they need prayer, don't they? Okay. Let's pray for the people we're standing next to. Father, right now I just pray for these people that I'm standing next to, and I pray, God, that your kingdom would be established in their life, that they would sense your peace and your freedom. I pray, God, that your plans succeed in their life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, high five, whatever you can cope with. (laughs) Well, I am so honored to be here. Um, As uh, Megan mentioned, Philip and I have been in their life from the beginning of Movement Church, actually even a little before, I think, and just so honored to be here. I love seeing things get started and just excited what God's going to do here. Um, I was just chatting with Nicole earlier, and uh, about, I don't know, a couple months ago, I, I, well, actually, I became a grandmother a few months ago, so that's exciting, but my, we um, snapped a photo of my, da- of my daughter bringing her daughter to church and in the nursery. And so the woman who was actually watching my granddaughter had also taken care of my daughter in the nursery, changed her diapers. And so it's just generations. And so if I could say anything to you, it's stay focused. Stay focused on what's going on in your church. Uh, Stay through the seasons. I mean, sometimes, you know, churches might go through ups and downs and you have to move locations and set up and tear down and it gets hard. 
but just stay the course. Because the woman who actually was taking care of my granddaughter, the story she has to say of the lives that she has seen change because she just stayed. And I just want to encourage you with that, that, you know, and sometimes in California, right, we just, we can't do the same thing two days in a row. And so just stay the course, stay committed to building, and, and you just watch what God's going to do here in Movement Church. You're not always going to be here. There'll be another place that you'll move to, but it's not the building, it's who you are. It's, you know, we make the church. We are the church, right? So I'm just so honored to be here. I love Carrie and Megan. Um, I mean, Carrie's a mess, but uh, I love... I'm just kidding. He's like my brother. We just torment each other. It's, it's the best. <clears throat> All right. Have you ever been in the middle of a hard time? Been under pressure? Oh, no, nobody here. It's just us people in LA that experience challenges. Wow. Y'all are special. Um, what I think is that who we really are comes out under pressure. One of the most challenging verses to me in this verse is actually never made it onto a t-shirt or a refrigerator magnet or a mug, because it's one of those annoying verses in the Bible. Uh, James 1 verse 2 says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because many kinds meaning financial trials, marriage trials, medical trials. It says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. It says, let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. It's interesting when I read that, I realize that maturity doesn't come from how old I am. Maturity doesn't come from what I know. Maturity comes from what I actually persevere through. And so basically what it's saying is let the pressure produce good things. I was thinking when we evaluate our leaders, whether it's scholars or historians or just the average person, the greatest leaders are determined by the magnitude of the crisis during which they led. Like Abraham Lincoln is considered a great president. It was for his direction during a time when our country was ripped in two. Winston Churchill was you know, commended for his guidance when England was at war and Martin Luther King Jr. when this country was divided. And, and so we go through difficulties and we think life is terrible and it certainly feels that way, but it was the difficulties that these men faced that actually led to their greatness. And I'd like to say that there is greatness within you. And it will be revealed in the midst of whatever challenges that you're going through. Greatness, or its opposite, will be revealed in the midst of pressure. At one point in his life, the Apostle Paul was a prisoner in Rome, and he was imprisoned for his faith, and ultimately he would be beheaded. And while he's there, he wrote some letters to the churches, many of the ones he actually himself had started. And People call these books, the Ephesians, Colossians, and Philippians, call them the prison letters, the prison epistles. Well, in the last chapter of the book of Colossians, he encourages us, the readers, and the people that he was writing to with three thoughts. Now, Paul is someone who navigated some very hard things, some very hard moments, and he'd given his life to follow Jesus. I'm thinking we should pay attention to what the man had to say, all right? He's saying doing these three things will actually help us when the pressure is on. Are you ready? Ready. Are you ready? Ready. Oh, so quiet and polite here in Orange County. Doing these three things. All right, the first one, Colossians 4, 2. It says, pray diligently, stay alert with your eyes wide open in gratitude. So the first one, pray diligently. Now that word diligence uh, comes from the word meaning persevere. It means courageously persistent. It actually means devotion. It comes from a word meaning devotion. So what he's saying is pray with devotion. It means you are stuck like glue to the object of your devotion. You don't allow anything to come between you and what you're devoted to. And if something actually does manage to get, come between you, it upsets you. And so think of the things that you are devoted to. You know, maybe your family, 
your job, music, football. You know, my mom is Texan, and she's a serious Dallas Cowboy fan. Okay, there's, there's a few of you. They're always loud. Uh, like the Yankee fans, they're always like loud. Anyway, the, did I lose some of you right there? So serious Dallas Cowboy fan. I mean, she's 81 years old, and when they come on the television, she is whooping and hollering and throwing things and yelling at refs and stand. I mean, she's a crazy person. She's a devoted fan, and when they lose, it's the worst day ever, and she wants to fire the coaches. I mean, it's, she's a devoted fan. And then there are some fans who are so passionate about a, you know, music artists, and so they camp outside the gates to get tickets so they can you know, get into the concert, be the first one. And then there's people who would do that with a movie because they want to be the first person you know, to see this movie. I've only actually ever done that one time. The only time I did this was in 1980. Some of you weren't born, so shut up. But was with a movie called The Empire Strikes Back. I'm a Star Wars fan. I'm devoted. And I didn't care how long the wait. I was getting into that theater on opening day. And then later, when the prequels came out, and my son Jordan was just young at that time, and I, we got him all the little figurines because they were for him. And, um, <laughs> but I was just as into him. And then, you know, this last Star Wars films I've seen multiple times. I'm passionately devoted. Well, Paul says that's actually the kind of attitude we're supposed to have when it comes to prayer. I mean, maybe you grew up in a home where you, you know, prayer was an obligation or you actually didn't pray or maybe it was something that you should do and, or maybe you struggle with what to say or just what scripture you're supposed to recite or something or maybe when you pray you find yourself being so distracted. I mean, we live in a very busy, fast-paced world or, so maybe it's difficult to find the time and the place and, and you're just, maybe your mind, you know, you start to pray because you're supposed to but then your mind wanders to other things or maybe, maybe you're a little cynical you know, maybe you're a little cynical about prayer, maybe a little suspicious, because maybe you prayed for something for a long time and you didn't get the answer you wanted. And so you're left thinking, God, why didn't you do something about that? I imagine everyone in this room has a that that they prayed for. Right, some of you are still waiting for that. Some of you are still dealing with that. Some of you are sitting next to that. <laughs> And some of you are wondering if God actually really cares, if he's really listening. But do you know if you look through scripture, regardless of what you think about the Bible or regardless of what your religious background is, if you just open it up and read through the Bible, if you look at the stories, it's actually almost all a form of prayer. From Adam and Eve in talking to God in the garden, the Bible is full of men and women who talked to their God and he answered. You know, Moses cried out to God, and then God spared Israel from judgment. Joshua's prayer made the sun stand still. That sounds amazing. Hannah's prayer was answered with a baby boy. Solomon got wisdom and answered to his prayer. Ten lepers prayed and were instantly healed. And, and then the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is a book of prayers. And just taking a trip through the book of Psalms, just reading it, will actually help us pray more honestly. Praying simply means talking to God. And if you read through Psalms, you'll realize so many times when David, who wrote much of, much of the book of Psalms, he wrote things like, help me, God, listen to me. Where are you? So real, genuine, crying out, that's praying and talking to God. See, we don't have to be afraid to tell God what we're thinking and feeling. He knows it anyway. So just be real with him. And if you look at the life of Jesus, the one thing that he did 
more than anything was he prayed. He was perfect. Son of God, perfect. And still he prayed. So I'm thinking, you know, I'm not perfect, so I should probably be praying too. And then even with him, even when the crowds would gather around him, even when life was busy, see, that's often when I'll go, oh, I just don't have time. I use that as an excuse. No, that's actually when he got the busiest is when he actually took some time to withdraw and pray. Because he believed it mattered. Which is why the disciples, his students, wanted to learn more about prayer than anything. In fact, they came to Jesus in Luke 11 and they said, teach us to pray. Did you know that in all four Gospels, there is only one recorded request of the disciples asking Jesus to teach them anything? I mean, they had seen him heal the, heal the sick and walk on water and raise the dead and calm storms, but not one time do we have them a recorded request of them saying, can you teach me how to raise the dead? Can you teach me how to walk on water? No, the only thing they asked Jesus to teach them to do was to pray. Maybe it's because they realized that's actually where his power came from and they wanted that. All right, so when should we pray? Well, James 5 says this, are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. And some translations say, are you in trouble? It says, you should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you've committed any sins, you'll be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. So don't miss what James is saying here. He's basically saying whatever circumstance or situation you find yourself in, pray. And then he highlights a few different scenarios when we need to be praying. So the first one, he says, you know, my translation said when you're suffering hardships, another one would say when we're in trouble. And I have some emojis that are going to help me paint this picture. So we're supposed to pray when our life feels a little bit like this. Is it up there yet? Anybody ever had your life feel like this? It's not chocolate ice cream, by the way. My mom kept sending it to me thinking it was a happy chocolate ice cream bar. No, mom, you're sending me poop. Stop. So so when we are in the middle of trouble, when we're under suffering hardships, the interesting thing is this is the only place in the entire New Testament where this word for trouble is used, and it means suffering through tough times not related to physical problems. So... This is the time when there isn't enough money to pay the bills or when an earthquake has destroyed your home. James is saying pray. When your friend is acting like a jerk and destroying your relationship, James urges you to turn to God in that time of trouble. When your marriage is at a rough place, when your child is hurting, pray. When you feel like the rug has been pulled out from under you, pray. When you need help, pray. When you're confused, pray. When you're overwhelmed, pray. Whenever your life feels like that, you pray. Okay, so we're to pray when we're in trouble. And second, we're to pray when we're happy, when we're happy. You know, we, we teach our kids to say thank you when they receive something from someone, and that's great. We just want to make sure that we give thanks to God when good things come our way. You know, so in this verse, James is reminding those who are happy, those who are on the mountaintop, to not forget actually who gave it to you. So we're reminded here to not forget. You see, God doesn't want to be there to simply lift us up when we're in times of trouble. He actually wants to talk to us when we're happy, when things are going great because he's provided it. And I would imagine in this room, there's many people who've experienced some kind of blessing from God. Anybody ever received anything good from God? Right. So all he's saying is, say thanks. Say thanks. Give me a high five, something. Talk to me. Say thank you. Is anyone happy? Let him thank God. 
Okay, so we're to pray when we're in trouble. We're to pray when we're happy. And third, we're to pray when we're sick. Now, our first response should be, when we are dealing with sickness, our first response should be to go to God. Now, I'm not saying don't take whatever treatment you're going to take because do whatever you need to do. But I'm just saying so often we put the prayer, the last thing that happens. But he's saying the first thing, the first thing is pray. And then if someone sends you a, like a requesting ham in the middle of, you know, this situation or this circumstance, can you pray for me? And then, then sometimes, sometimes I think what happens is we send back, we send back the little prayer emoji hands and that's fine. But can you actually pray? Because sending prayer emoji hands is not praying, right? I, people do that. I'm wondering, are people actually praying? You know, I remember just re- right this last couple of weeks with the, the boys in that cave and there's so many, you know, Instagram posts that were up and these, you know, you know what I'm talking about the, fo- the football team. And so now some of them are getting rescued now, which is awesome. And, but I remember seeing so many people responding to all the different comments with their prayer hands and I'm hoping that they are. Right, because actually that's when we're supposed to be praying. More than emoji hands, but really praying. Okay, so we pray when we're in trouble, we pray when we're happy, when we're sick, and four, we pray when we sin. When we make a mistake. And maybe you're all perfect here in Orange County, but I don't think so. But oftentimes what happens is when we make a mistake, when we betray someone, when we tell a lie, when we, when we sin, when we blow it, oftentimes what happens is we withdraw and isolate. And what God is saying here, it's like, no, come to me and I'll cleanse you from that. And we'll be, it's a do over. You can do it as many times as you need. So don't run, but actually come to God and pray. So in all these situations, we should pray. And I'm thinking that covers just about everything. So back to Colossians four, three things. Remember the first one, pray diligently, stay alert with your eyes wide open in gratitude. All right, the second one that Paul is suggesting that we do under pressure is stay alert. Luke 12, Jesus said this. He turned to the crowd and said, when you see clouds beginning to form in the west, you say, here comes a shower, and you're right. And when the south wind blows, you say, today will be a scorcher, and it is. He says, you fools. Jesus, he doesn't mince words at all. (laughs) He says, you know how to interpret the weather signs of the earth and sky, but you don't know how to interpret the present times. I just think you and I need to get really good at interpreting the time. Now, in Southern California, we don't really get to experience the seasons, right? I mean, palm trees don't change colors, and I've never built a snowman on my front yard. Right, so we've never, we, are, we live in perpetual spring and summer, and basically, I'm okay with that. I mean, although these last few days have been seriously scorchers, right? But there's people who live in other parts of our country, even the world, and they have to prepare for hurricane season or you know, winter season. And so the, the apostle Peter challenges us in 1 Peter 5. He says, be alert and of sober mind. He says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And so the kind of alert that he's talking about is not so much a season change, but being vigilant, being sleeplessly watchful. Now, I don't think it means we can't ever take a nap, but I do think it means that if we want to be victorious, we have to be vigilant. We have to be watchful to what's going on around us. I'm sure you've seen those police shows where the police officers are sitting in their car and they're on a stakeout. 
and the officers have to be alert and ready to you know, catch the criminal that they're there for. They can't just sit in their patrol car and play video games. I'm sure that they, they would like to, or they can't just sit in the dark, quiet moments and fall asleep. And I'm sure it'll be so easy to fall asleep. And maybe there are moments that they suspect the person isn't even coming. But what if they do? What if they do leave? What if they do fall asleep? Then they're going to miss what they were sent for. So I'd like to suggest Movement Church, maybe we're on a stakeout. Maybe we're on a stakeout. We can't get distracted and we can't fall asleep. We have to be alert to the season, to the times. We have to be alert to this time in history that we are here for. We have to be alert to what's going on around us and alert to what's going on within us. 14 years ago, I was diagnosed with breast cancer and began this journey. And I spent a couple weeks in this uh, holistic hospital, and one of the things that they were doing, I was getting a lot of different tests done on my body, and one of the tests that they did was a stress test. And so they hooked up me to this machine, and the doctor comes to me before it started and said, so Holly, you know, how are you feeling? And I said, well, actually, I'm feeling pretty good. I mean, I'm pretty confident. Um, and I have a genuine faith and I'm feeling good. And he goes, okay. So then he went and did the test and then came back to me and said, well, actually, let me just tell you that the stress level in your body is as if you're staring a roaring lion in the face. He said, the problem is you're unaware of it. So I had to begin the journey toward becoming alert to what, what it was that stressed me from the inside, which might be different than you because we each would have different stressors, but stress will kill you. So I had to be alert to what was going on within me, and I had not been alert to what was going on within me. Making that journey. And then you think about when you drive. How many of you have driven home? You pull into your driveway or your garage, and you have no memory of getting there. (laughs) Right, you were just on autopilot, right? Stop that. You are dangerous people. (laughs) We have to be alert. Alert, alert to what's going on around us, to our marriages and our jobs. And so the Apostle Paul is telling us to be focused and alert. Alert to what's happening in your church. You you got welcome to church party. You have connect groups coming up. Be alert to what the season, what's going on in your church. Be alert to your community. You know, you have the serve day coming up this weekend. Everybody should be putting their hands to making that happen. Be alert to the needs. God put you here at this time in history, not just to suck in air, but to be a part of the solution to help meet the needs of your city and your community. See, if God wanted you born a thousand years ago, you'd have been born then. He trusted you with now. When there's never been more chaos and more pain and more heartbreak and more confusion, he's trusted you with now. And so you can be alert to what's going on now, not just going, la, 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 and pretend it's not. So make sure that you're a part. Be alert to what's going on in your community and in your city. Be alert. Be alert. All right, back to Colossians 4.2. It says, pray diligently, stay alert, and the last one with your eyes wide open in gratitude. We have to determine to be grateful. You know, everyone wants to be grateful. Who wants to be ungrateful? <laughs> right? But the problem is, what's your plan? What's your plan to become a more grateful person? Because nobody just drifts into gratitude. 
I think we have this problem when it comes to gratitude. We say thank you when someone does something for us or thank you when you know, we're given something, and we should, but if we start to think that we'll be more grateful to the extent we receive things or the more good things we have, then the more grateful we'll become, then gratitude becomes a product of our circumstances. And gratitude is always a decision of our will. It is not a result of circumstances. Have you noticed that two people can be in the same situation? They can be in the same job, the same church, the same class at school, the same long Starbucks line, and one person is filled with gratitude and the other is like a whining, grumbling mess. (laughs) Maybe it's because what some people perceive as a right, somebody else sees as a gift. You know, at least six times Paul speaks of gratitude in this very short letter to the Colossians. And then in another letter, he teaches us that gratitude is the will of God. 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. He's not saying give thanks for the circumstance. He's saying in the middle of them, give thanks. He says, for this is God's will for you. So when I read that, I realize that a thankful heart is more than a good idea It's actually the will of God for his people. You know, so many times people are wondering, what's God's will for my life? And as a pastor, I get asked that all the time. You know, what's my purpose? What's God's will for my life? And we think the will of God is some mystical fairy dust cloud that's going to descend, and then we'll know. People are like, what's God's will? What's God's will today? No, do you know what this tells me? The first step is be grateful. So, You can be in God's will right now. Here we go. Turn to the person next to you and just say, thank you. Look, you're in the will of God. Yay! Way to go being in God's will. That's the first step. Turn and say, thank you. Be grateful. You're in God's will when you are grateful. Or maybe, maybe for you, you could maintain a gratitude journal. You know, all the things that you're grateful for. I mean, I... I think journaling sounds so spiritual, and I wish I was a journaler, and people are great at it. Uh, And I try every year. I'm determined. In January, I get the New Year's journal, and it lasts until about January 15th, and then I'm done with that, (laughs) and then that just becomes a notebook that I take notes in, which is fine, but maybe for you, a journal will be good, or maybe it's before you get out of bed in the morning, before your feet hit the floor. Just find one thing that you can be grateful for. In our house, we have this jar. My husband got this jar. And he got it in the middle of probably what would have been the hardest season of our life, and hardest season of our marriage, hardest season of ministry, personally the hardest season. So it was about four years ago, it started about four years ago and lasted about 18 months. And it was brutal. This is the only time, I think, in church life when I wanted to quit, when I was tired of doing what we were doing. It was too painful and too hard. And it started with my father passing away suddenly. And my father, I was very close to my dad. He, and then he fell and hit his head and had a bleed on the brain. And so he died suddenly. And my dad loved me very well my whole life. And I'm very aware how blessed I am to have been loved so well by my dad. So I was missing my dad. I was grieving the loss of my father. And then someone steals Phillips and my identity, and they 
kind of how they did it. They got into his email and then from there to our bank and so ended up stealing our savings account. And the FBI got involved, but we actually never got it back just because of how it was done. So I'm dealing with the loss of, grieving the loss of my father and then dealing with this other loss and all that comes with that. And then my husband gets diagnosed with cancer, with a form of lymphoma. And so he's undergoing some treatment for that. And then the treatment that, particular treatment he had was so brutal on his system that then from there he ended up getting shingles and he got the worst case of shingles the doctor had ever seen and he couldn't walk for four or five months. And you know, men, you guys are amazing. I can tell you're sick, (laughs) right? Um, Now granted he had more than a cold, right? It was a pretty intense thing. But it was, it was you know, really challenging. And then there's, I had to walk my daughter through a really hard situation in the middle of this. And, and, so, and then there were some people who should have had my back. People who I had extended grace to when they were a mess and needed it. I didn't get that grace back. And instead, of, I got stabbed in the back. And then just some betrayals from people who had been really close to me. So I'm trying to navigate Philip and then what he's dealing with and and then help my daughter in this situation and then the financial stuff and and the church. You know, we do pastor a pretty big church in L.A., so got to make that happen. And so in the middle of all this and people, just the pain from the betrayal. And I'd never felt more like I just was done with church, with people. And you know what? I could see this bitterness growing in me. Like this cynicism, this bitterness about people, about church. The Bible calls it a root of bitterness. Well, it became a bush. (laughs) And um, I feel like God showed me a picture of what I would look like if that tree kept growing. And she was going to be this bitter old woman. And I didn't want to be her. So I had to make different decisions now. And did I feel like it? No, I felt like hurting people. (laughs) So it was in this, this season, this moment, which was really painful, that Philip put this jar in our kitchen. And he put this jar and he said, this is gonna be our gratitude jar. And then he put some sticky notes, you know, post-it notes next to it. And he said, every day we're gonna come down and we're gonna write one thing we're grateful for and we're gonna put it in that jar. See, my husband is the Christian. I mean, every, every family needs one, and, um, you know, he's ours. So he did make the, like, post-it notes colorful as if that was going to help me. Um, but I come down on day one, and there's that jar, and there are those post-it notes, and I'm standing there, and I, I got nothing. I got nothing. There's nothing in me. And I knew I had to do something because I also knew he was going to count. So, oh. so I just stand there and eventually I write, coffee. Yes. <laughs> Any friends in the room? Yeah. Right, coffee. So then the next day I come down, nothing, I got nothing. In fact, all I keep replaying in my head is the, the pain and the sense of betrayal and the weariness. I got nothing. Like, but I, again, I stand there because I know I have to. Okay? Coffee. So it was pretty much coffee for about four or five days. I mean, and why wouldn't it be really? But, and then finally one day I was standing there and I look up and I go, oh, sunshine. 
as if that's rare in Southern California, <laughs> put it there. And then eventually became my health and my kids and my home and my salvation, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, let me just tell you, not once did I feel like it. There was not this cloud that descended, the gratitude, purple cloud, no. There was no cloud that descended. I stood at that jar and I made a decision every day to find something I could be grateful for until it broke in me, until I could feel that that bitterness had just shriveled down to nothing. But that didn't happen because I willed it to shrivel. It happened because I decided to be grateful. I decided to be grateful. So maybe for you, maybe it's writing down a list of benefits in your life and ask yourself, to what extent do I take these for granted? And instead, be thankful. See, give thanks in all circumstances, not for the circumstance, but in the middle of it, give thanks. And see, when Paul was writing to the Colossians, he was in prison, a really hard place to be. And he's saying, I can give thanks here. A man named Dr. Dale Robbins wrote this. He said, I used to think people complained because they had a lot of problems, but I've come to realize they have problems because they complain. Complaining doesn't change anything or make situations better. All it does is amplify frustration and spread discord and makes us miserable. There's no spiritual gift called complaining. All right, Psalm 77.3, David wrote this. I complained and then my spirit was overwhelmed. Maybe being overwhelmed started because we complained first. Now, the apostle Paul's life was filled with so many difficulties that honestly we would understand that he would complain about. Right? I mean, how many of us would put up with the constant stress and shipwrecks and beatings and imprisonments and scars and permanent injuries? And still, he's thankful. How? Because Paul had learned a very important secret to life. Philippians 4, verse 11. He says, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Now, we love quoting that last part. It's on every t-shirt. It's on all the mugs. He's saying, I can do all things. What things? The secret of being content in any situation. See, he learned the secret of not living life based on the conditions around him. He could be content in prison, and he could be content at home. His happiness was not based on circumstances. It was based on his relationship, his genuine faith in Jesus. He knew that he had all he needed because it was actually Christ who gave him the strength for life. So God is saying to us, to you and to me, don't wait to be grateful. Don't postpone gratitude until your situation changes or until you've acquired a certain thing because if you can't be grateful now, you won't be grateful then. Because if you keep thinking, I'll be grateful as soon as I get that, then as soon as you get that, then there'll be 12 more things that get added to the list. If we can't be grateful now, we'll never be grateful in spite of how much we achieve or how much we receive. So for me, even in the midst of that really horrible season, I decided to actually do this. In the middle of some circumstances, I decided to quit complaining, which is so easy to do. I mean, no, not the quitting is not easy. The complaining is easy. Complaining, any idiot can complain. I mean, you know people that have PhDs in complaining. Just look straight ahead right now. So I decided in the midst of that, 
I didn't feel like it, but in the midst of that, I was going to find the things that I most often complained about, just the random day-to-day things that I would most often complain about, and instead, I was gonna be thankful about that. Because what I found is that if you, when you start complaining about little things, then it becomes, you just, it just escalates. So I thought, I'm gonna stop that. Even the little things, the little ridiculous things I would complain about, I'm gonna stop that. I'm gonna be grateful instead. So here's my list. You can come up with your own. So for me, I said, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the traffic I'm driving in because it means I have a car. I'm grateful for the spot I find at the far end of the parking lot because it means I can walk. Right? I'm grateful for a bad hair day because it means I have hair. Right, and I was just chatting with someone after the first service, and she's just come through cancer journey. She goes, I never will complain about a bad hair day again. I go, I know. I'm grateful for my water bill because it means I can get water simply by turning on a faucet. I'm grateful that I live in a country where the chances of me being beheaded for my faith are fairly small. I'm grateful for challenges in relationships because it means I have relationships worth fighting for. I'm grateful for all the noise I hear about our government because it means we have the freedom of speech. I'm grateful for jet lag because it means I have friends and places worth flying across the world for. Grateful. And I'm grateful for the alarm that goes off way too early in the morning because it means God's trusted me with another day. I'm grateful. What if we became a people, a church, who instead of complaining, we made the decision to be grateful, to find something to be grateful for? I honestly think we could change our families, we could change our neighborhoods, if it's contagious. Gratitude is contagious. Let's be those people. So I don't know what pressure you might be in in the middle of at the moment. I'm pretty sure it's something, because most of us are. But I just want to remind you to pray with devotion, not religious ritual, but talk to God, really. And stay alert. What's going on around you and within you? And be grateful. Find something to be grateful for. Now I'm just going to pray, and if I could just get you to close your eyes just for a moment, just to eliminate distractions, put your phone down, stop scrolling through Instagram, just for a moment, be still. And I just want to pray. I'm going to pray for... First of all, for some of you who might be in the middle of a really stressful situation, you're under pressure, whether it's with your job or a family situation or even a health diagnosis, something. You're in the middle of pressure, and I just want to pray. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm just going to pray from where you are, but if that's you, if you're in the middle of a, just a really tough, challenging, pressure-filled season situation, can you just lift your hand up just so I know who I'm praying for? That's great. So there's, there's about a dozen of you in here. So Father, I'm... I pray, God, for each man and woman who raised their hand. And God, you know who they are and you know their name. You know the exact situation they're in. And I thank you that you didn't bring them this far to quit. And so I thank you that this is not the end of the story. And I pray, God, they would sense your peace and your presence in the middle of this situation. I thank you, God, that you are the healer. You bring healing where that's necessary in bodies and relationships and homes. You bring finances where finances are needed. You are the provider. 
I thank you, Father. And in the midst of the challenging situations, God, these people make the decision to be grateful, to no longer complain about it, but instead to trust you and be grateful. I thank you, Father. And I just thank you, Jesus, for your intervention, your intervention and your wisdom, Spirit of God, your wisdom. And if you could just keep your eyes closed just for another moment, I want to pray for another group of people. Maybe you're in here and, and you've never really made your peace with God. Maybe you've never surrendered your heart and your life to the God who loves you so much that he sent Jesus. He sent Jesus and Jesus chose to go to the cross to pay the price for every sin and failure in your life, every one that you have committed and will commit. He's offering you a future filled with hope and freedom and free from guilt and free from shame. But maybe you've never actually put your faith in Jesus. Or maybe there's some of you in here and at one point you were following Jesus, but if you were honest, you'd have to say you've grown a little cold in your heart. Maybe you got weary, maybe you got tired, I don't know, but if you're honest, you'd have to say you kind of have one foot in and one foot out. Maybe you're like me, you just got bitter and cynical, and, but you're not really following him, whatever it is. Maybe you know how to play the church thing, but it's not genuine. So I want to pray for you. So if you're in here for the first time, you know that it's time to surrender your life to this God who loves you fully and completely and perfectly, just the way you are. You don't have to change for him to love you. He loves you, and he wants you to know that love. And then maybe there's some of you in here, and you just need to reconnect with this God. You need to once again get up and begin to follow Jesus. Get back up. So I'm going to count to three, and if you're one of those two categories, I just want you to lift your hand up and then put it back down just so I can see it. I'm going to pray for you. So if you're in here for the first time, you're saying yes to the love of God, or you're in here... And you know you need to get back up and begin again following Jesus. Then I want to pray for you. So just put your hand up when I count to three. One, two, three. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. I see you, buddy. Father, I thank you so much for who you are. I thank you, God, for your love for us. And I thank you, God, that as we put our faith in you, you call us a new creation. The old things are done and all things become new. And so we're going to pray a prayer right now. And I want everybody to pray. A few of you raise your hands and there maybe there's some of you in here and you know that you should have. But we're going to pray this together. And just believe these words in your heart. But we'll all pray it together. Everybody say, Father, all of us. Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. And from this moment on, I choose you. I surrender my heart and my life to Jesus. Amen. Amen. So good. So good. And I just want to, those of you that you made that decision or you need to make that decision to follow Jesus, I just want to let you know that a faith in Jesus was never meant to be lived out in isolation. And I think our modern society, we can all live very isolated lives behind our little fences and doors. And a faith in Jesus was always meant to be lived in community. The word, the Bible was meant to be studied together and in community. So connect groups that are coming up, it's not a casual thing. It's a place to actually engage and learn and grow together. So make sure that you engage in some form or fashion in the life of the church so that a year from now, you're at a stronger place than you are today. And what I do know about church life is that 
one Sunday and one message isn't going to give you everything that you need. But what I do know, and this is some things we say at Oasis Church in LA, we say, give us a year. Give us a year. Because in a year, anybody can do anything for a month. Like you can go to the gym for a month, right? But we say, give us a year, because within a year, you'll hear all sorts of different messages from about finances and family and faith and overcoming, and, and it paints the big picture, but it doesn't happen in one, it happens over the course of time. And you've got some great leaders who know how to just build your faith, the whole body faith. So just make sure you're here serving and connecting and being a part of what's going on. Yes? All right, thank you, Megan. Love you. Let's give Holly one more great big hand clap. If you prayed that prayer with us today, we are so excited to be a part of this journey with you. Please email us at info at theocmovement.com. And if you were not in the area, we would love to help you find another life-giving church near you. Please send us an email at info at theocmovement.com. Thank you again for listening to another inspiring message from the Movement Church.